0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. We are in Esther chapter 3 with a message, Haman schemes, Mordecai stands, but heaven rules. Haman is going to plot his terrible decree against the Jews, Mordecai won't bow, but heaven is overruling all of it with the providential unseen hand of God, but his fingerprints are everywhere. We'll learn more about that today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Return to the book of Esther when Haman is introduced, this is the history that you have to see. Uh, Haman is an Agagite. And his family line from Amalek is responsible for wanting to destroy God's people. Whenever a people group wants to destroy God's people, God takes that extremely personally. Jesus said to Saul on the road to Damascus when he confronted Saul before he became Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You see, when God's people are persecuted, God takes that personally. And by extension, when they're persecuted, it's as though they were persecuting Christ, but they can't get to Christ, and you represent Christ, so they want to persecute his people. And so Haman with this history in mind, is a man that comes from these origins. And of course, he's going to continue this. Application point. Sometimes we don't, uh, sometimes we don't do what God would call us to do. We, maybe it's partial obedience. Maybe we don't completely understand why God has told us to do something. And we either partially obey or we just wallow in our sin. And we don't realize that sometimes what God has called us to do is for multiple reasons beyond even our own lifetime. Do you know that when the book of Esther is unfolding, it's about 600 years removed from the time of King Saul and uh, it's way removed from the time of the Exodus. So you're talking about, you could say six generations or more later, the disobedience of Saul still reverberates through the nation of Israel. And one writer put it this way. Past sins have a way of coming back repeatedly to haunt us. Sometimes our children after us. How many difficult ethical decisions over which we agonize for hours would even be confronting us were it not for our past sins? People's lives can become horribly complicated to the point where the wisdom of Solomon is needed to know how to proceed. Yet in many cases, says this writer, the most substantial complications come as the direct byproduct of past sins, close quote. See, sometimes we think that obedience is just about us. Not necessarily. Obedience can bless future generations and disobedience can reverberate negatively to future generations. And Saul, King Saul, is a perfect example of that. And while our children and grandchildren are not responsible for our sins, they still swim in the consequences of our bad decisions, amen? It, it, sometimes it's hard to take. Now, God is so full of grace that if we planted our flag in our generation, even if we didn't have any Christians in our family, and we said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, God can take all of that junk and he can make it all new, right? He can give us a new start. That is the awesome news. To be in Christ, we are new creations. So here's Haman and all the king's servants who were at the king's gate, Esther 3.2, bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him, but Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. Now all the king's servants at the gate, which was where you did official business in the kingdom, they all bowed down. They paid homage, which can mean in the Hebrew here to some sort of uh, worship. It may not mean that exactly here. may be an exaggerated bow. But the king had sent out some sort of command that all the officials at the gate, the city officials, the servants of the king, were to bow to Haman. That's how high he had been elevated. I don't know if it was an inner office email. I don't know, you know how the word got out. But this was the command from the top. Everybody is to bow down and pay homage to Haman. But one man said no. Now, the, we mentioned in the opening of the book that the book of Esther is uh, not exactly, the, the heroes are not exactly like the book of Daniel because it seems like there's a little bit more compromise going on with Mordecai and Esther being in Persia and kind of seeming to go with the flow sometimes. We don't have all the details. But... We know that in Daniel 3, it was three Hebrew youths who took their stand when everybody else was bowing down before the golden idol. And in Esther 3, Mordecai takes his stand. Daniel 3 and Esther 3. Different situations. In, in the one case of the three Hebrew youths, when they don't bow and they end up in the fire, the Lord shows up and he's real shiny, remember? <laughs> in the fire with them, But in Esther 3... We don't see like a miraculous uh, manifestation in that way. We just see Mordecai take his stand and uh, that's all we're told. He will not pay homage. Uh, Once again, one writer says the issue of respect has come before us in the book of Esther. Uh, At the end of chapter one, remember, a decree went out from the king for all wives to respect their husbands. I'm sure that went over big. You know, you get that in the mail. From now on, in this household and all over the Persian Empire, wives must respect their husbands. That should help every household, don't you think? And now the issue of respect is here before us again. Because uh, Haman is going to take this very personally. Uh, Note, the Old Testament does not have a problem with paying appropriate respect to pagan rulers. You can see... uh, Joseph's brothers bow before him in Egypt. You see later in the book that Queen Esther bows before King Xerxes. And so that's chapter 8, verse 3. So what's going on here? Were they asking more of Mordecai? Uh, There have been volumes written, maybe not volumes, but many pages written on the reason why Mordecai won't bow. Because if, if the bowing was simply just paying normal respects to a superior, uh, Mordecai shouldn't really have had an issue with that. So there must be something deeper going on here. The king's servants who were at the king's gate, verse 3, Esther 3, said to Mordecai, why are you transgressing the king's command? What's, <laughs> if we could put it in our language, what's the boss going to think when he hears about this? That you don't, you don't follow what he commanded. Now, I throw it out to you, why do you think uh, Mordecai wouldn't bow? He was not an insurrectionist, he wasn't a zealot. He had just revealed a plot to spare the king an assassination, so he wasn't against the Persian leadership. Why in this particular case will he not bow to Haman? Does he simply just not like his name? (laughs) Or is it possible, and I throw this out as my own personal conjecture, is it possible that Mordecai knows Haman's ancestry? Has it come out in some way? Has it been revealed that Haman is an Agagite? And Mordecai being a Jew and knowing all these stories knows exactly from Sabbath school where this tension lies. This is a simmering conflict down through the ages that King Saul didn't deal with. That Psalm 83 talks about, could it be that? Remember that Mordecai has told Esther to hide the fact that she's a Jew. Why? Why? Well, he may sense in the court of Persia or maybe around town or maybe through all the provinces that there is anti-Semitism going on. And he's concerned that maybe something's about to blow up in Persia. And if Esther's ethnicity is revealed, that maybe she is going to be in some trouble. But maybe it's also because he knows about Haman and he knows that maybe there's been talk that Haman hates Jewish people. This wouldn't be the first time in history that we heard talk like that, would it? That some person in power, especially in Persia, by the way, Persia is modern day Iran, and the name changed from Persia to Iran in the early 1900s. So Persia is Iran. And uh, we all know what Mahmoud is, <laughs> whatever his name, We know what he said, right? Before the UN and other places where he's giving public speeches. Essentially, Israel has no right to exist and should be pushed into the sea and perish. There's nothing new under the sun, brothers and sisters. This conflict continues right now. And there are people who haven't said it publicly, but that's what they believe, that Israel has no right to exist. In fact, in 48, when... They became a nation again, and even in 67, we know that they were being attacked from all sides simply for wanting their little sliver of land in the Middle East that was given to them by God. And by the way, all the debate about borders today, I'll say this to you. God does acknowledge borders. He laid out the borders of the Holy Land, so apparently God does believe in borders. I know there's a lot of debates about compassion and what should we do given the situations we're in. And I'm not telling you that it's an easy debate, but I am saying this to you. The God of the Bible does acknowledge borders and nations and countries and even walls that were rebuilt in Nehemiah in 52 days. So we need a biblical worldview, certainly, but we also need the compassion of Christ. And these are complicated times we live in. So why he refused to bow probably because he knew who Haman was. And it was uh, when they had spoken daily to him, so the co-workers, the fellow servants, every day, uh, they would ask him, why aren't you bowing? Why aren't you bowing? And he would not listen to them. That they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand, for he had told them, and now it comes out, that he was a Jew. There's some different versions here about how this came about. His Jewishness was revealed. But this is the standard Uh, view of this that it came out that finally mordecai told them that he was jewish and that's the only biblical reason you'll hear more from pastor michael in a moment we understand that time can really get away from you the day-to-day hustle can sometimes leave little time for the more important things in life like bible study Remember that Pastor Michael's teachings can be heard at any time, day or night, on walkintruth.com. You don't have to worry that you have to get out of the car right now, because today's teaching is already online, ready for you to listen when it's most convenient for you. Visit walkintruth.com today to hear all the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. This is the standard uh, view of this that it came out that finally Mordecai told them that he was Jewish. And that's the only biblical reason we have as to why he didn't bow. Everything else I just told you is conjecture. (laughs) What the Bible actually says is the reason that Mordecai won't bow is that he's Jewish. And he has an issue with it to some degree, which may Uh, of course, go to the lineage of Haman. So, is it because of the long-standing family feud? I don't know, but did Mordecai get into the history? Did he tell them the backstory about Exodus 17 and 1 Samuel 15? I don't know, but he did expose his Jewishness. We're citizens of heaven. We're under God's rule, but we're also citizens of this country. We have to operate with dignity and respect, but we also cannot compromise our true king's commands. This is where we need to be biblically, prayerfully, and thoughtfully working out our salvation with fear and trembling. God's at work in us, but we have to know which hills we should die on and in which cases we can say, you know what, Uh, I'm at work here, and so this is an acceptable mode to operate in, but I won't compromise this. This is my boundary. This is my line. And we gotta know what hills we gotta die on, amen? We have to know, know how to operate in a world dominated by secular thought and secular humanism. Well, when Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. We are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not filled with rage, but Haman was filled with rage. Can you imagine Haman going home after a long day in the Persian court? Something like this. He walks in, puts his briefcase down, and his wife says, honey, what's wrong? Why the long face? You just got promoted. Everybody's bowing down to you in the Persian court. When I walked by today, I saw all these people bow down before you. Hey, man, hey, man, hey, man. What's wrong? There's this one Jewish guy. He won't bow down to me. Have you ever had a day where you could say 27 things went right today, but this one person, why the long face, honey? Mordecai! (laughs) The one, we tend to focus on the one thing that goes wrong despite all the other things that went right for us. Is that you? Are you the focuser on the negativer, negative? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of good things going on, but, but this. My TV show's off the air forever. <laughs> what? My team lost in the playoffs. That was a terrible call, non-call, by the refs against the Saints which is a biblical football team. The Saints! Somehow that's wrong. I know there's Rams fans here. Rams are biblical too, right? Ram caught in the thicket. Genesis 22. It's all there. Anyway, never mind. We digress. Oh, I knew that was going to stir the crowd right there. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai 6 alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. He finds finds out he's Jewish. Therefore Haman, what? Sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Haman, filled with rage, doesn't want just Mordecai to pay the price. He decides that all Jews should die in light of the fact that Mordecai won't bow down to him. What? Where, where this hatred? Why, why this radical move that he believes all Jews should die? Listen to this NIV application commentary. One source reports that in the last century alone, an average of 300,000 Christians have been martyred each year. Did you hear that number? In the last century alone, the average number of Christians martyred per year is 300,000. When's the last time you heard a news report on Christian persecution? When's the last time that you heard a statistic like that given to you about, you know, Christians get blamed for, the Christians are responsible for this and that. When's the last time you heard a report about the Christian hospitals that are built? Uh, Christian ministries that are going into AIDS-dominated areas, going into disaster areas. Uh, You know, uh, Christian persecution, 300,000 people a year martyred simply for being Christians. Well, Mordecai probably couldn't have imagined that his stand... Not bowing to Haman would have this kind of sweeping consequence. But I'll say this to you. Haman's uh, decision is no less than satanically energized. Let me give you some names here. Haman, Herod, Hitler. Three H's. Haman wants to destroy all the Jews because Mordecai won't bow down to him. Herod killed all the baby boys, Matthew 2.16, in uh, Bethlehem because he was afraid of the king of the Jews, the Messiah, and Herod killed all the babies. Two years old, males, two years old and under. And Hitler tried to wipe out an entire race of people. And I will tell you, in all three cases and many more that I could cite, satanically energized because Satan hates the people of God and has been trying to destroy the people of God since really the beginning. That's the only explanation for this. He wants all Jews to die. Why? Because the source is Satan. So in the first month, seven, which is the month of Nisan, that's the Jewish month of Abib. Nisan is a Babylonian name. In the 12th year, uh, scholars put this at 474 BC, of King Ahasuerus, Pur, that is the lot, was cast before Haman from day to day, and from month to month until the 12th month, that is the month Adar. That's our February, March. And there would be 11, an 11-month interval from the month of Nisan all the way back to Adar. The month of Nisan is a bib for the Jews. It's the first month of the religious calendar. So if you think Nisan, just think Passover because that's the Passover month for the Jew. And so in the first month, uh, this is what happens. The lot begins to be cast, and through some sort of divination to find out you know, what the gods or fate would say. Uh, Haman's looking for the proper time to execute his wrath against all the Jews. See the word purr there? That's the singular form. The, the plural form of pur or lot is Purim. And that's the feast that the Jews celebrate. Based upon the book of Esther. Is the feast of Purim which celebrates God's deliverance from Haman's evil plot. This is the origin of the feast's name, Purim, for the lot that is cast. And interestingly enough, the New Living Translation has it this way. So in the month of April, during the twelfth year of King Xerxes, five years since Esther became the queen reign, lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim to determine the best day and month to take action. And the day selected was March 7th, nearly a year later or 11 months later. So all this is unfolding in the month of Nisan. He rolls the dice. That's kind of what an ancient lot was, kind of a strange thing to us, but they tried to find out the will of the stars or fate or the gods. But Proverbs 16.33 says this, the lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord. You could, you could cast lots, but God supersedes it all, is Proverbs sixteen thirty three? So then Haman said to King Ahasuerus 8, there is a certain people, he doesn't name them, scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of all other people. That's certainly true. They do not observe the king's laws. I'm not sure that's true because only Mordecai refused to bow to him. There's nothing else we're told about other Jews in Persia. So it is not in the what? The king's interest to let them, this people group, remain. Now had Haman slipped in that I'm talking about the Jewish race, uh, there's a couple things that would be in the king's interest like uh, his queen is Jewish, Esther. Her name, Hadassah, we find out. And Mordecai, who just saved his life from an assassination plot, is also a Jew. If he had known that, if he was told the truth, but Haman is a master of manipulation. Know anybody like that? Keep out some key details like, you know, this edict will mean your wife will have to die. I'm sure you're good with that, right? Wrong. And so he he puts this before the, the king, but he's a liar. And Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And he says, If it's pleasing to the king, nine, let it be decreed they be destroyed, this people group who's so different and so forth. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver. This is a huge amount into the hands of those who carry on the king's business to put it into the king's treasuries. Now, secular history tells us that the king had suffered some losses in military warfare. So maybe the coffers needed to be replenished. I don't know. I don't know if there was a carrot that he dangled or whatever. But he says, hey, this'll pay handsomely as well and it'll go right back into the kingdom. This'll be a win-win, king. And the king took his signet ring, kind of an ancient signature, from his hand and he gave it to Haman uh, uh, essentially saying, my authority is now in your hands. Well, friends, we are surely coming to a very dangerous spot in the book of Esther for Mordecai and the Jewish people as Haman's plot to destroy them seems to be going according to plan. And the question that lingers in this great story is this, as it takes a dark turn, will God deliver his people? That's the question mark hanging over the story more on that in a moment. And I want to remind you that walkintruth.com has many resources available to you to strengthen your walk. One is this entire teaching series in the book of Esther. You can get an MP3 file of this whole teaching for yourself or to give to a friend or family member. When you make a financial gift of $30 or more to walk in truth at walkintruth.com. Don't forget, Donate today and request your copy of Esther for such a time as this. Friends, we want to reach more people like you, and the only way we can do that is when you partner with us. So please prayerfully consider a gift today, and we'll send you a gift in return that will bless you. The blessing will go both ways. We'll tune in tomorrow for the conclusion of the teaching in Esther chapter 3. Find out what God does to set in motion His providential and sovereign hand to save the Jews from the terrible edict of Haman. Also learn how this point in the story compares to what Christ has done for you and for me. We'll find out more tomorrow. Look forward to joining you then. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.